downstairs, let me encourage you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 this morning as we continue our body language series. Uh, but before we do, <clears throat> I've just got to acknowledge, how about that big orange thing in the sky out there? Is that not fantastic? I tell you, I don't know about y'all, but I've just been starving for some sunshine. And uh, yesterday was just an absolutely beautiful day. Um, unfortunately, Kim and I had done some calendaring at the first of the year, and uh, we had put this weekend aside to clean our attic out. And so on the one sunny day, of course, today is sunny, so we hope to get out today a little bit. Uh, the one sunny day, we were literally in our attic for 10 hours yesterday. But uh, so thankful to have some sunshine, and uh, I'm sure you guys are too. As short-lived as it may be, I think the rain's coming back tomorrow, uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, uh, again, thanks, Gary, Carla, and uh, I hope that you were able just to extend the sales of your heart uh, during that time of worship, and uh, we look forward to the Spirit of God uh, taking us this morning uh, where He would have us to go. Uh, we're continuing this body language series, moving verse by verse through uh, the book of First Corinthians, um, and sort of the context uh, of this series as as we have we have set it up, uh, just as we send signals. Uh, with our own body language uh, to other people uh, that we don't necessarily realize uh, that we're sending. Um, Paul, in 1 Corinthians, in this letter to an early church that he planted, he's responding to the signals that they, as the body of Christ, are sending to the watching world around them. And he begins the letter, if you'll remember, by diagnosing the core problem in the Corinthian church. And that was that instead of leaning into the Spirit with their body language, they were leaning into themselves. They were all about themselves, their preference, their prerogative, their will, and their way. It was all about them. Pride and preference had infected the church. Thank goodness that never happens today. They were lining up, if you'll remember, behind their favorite teachers. And so they were ranking and rating the teachers that were in Corinth, elevating men above the message, and that was causing division in the church. Paul had gotten wind of this. He was in Ephesus at the time, and so he writes this letter to the Corinthian church to address this, among other things that we'll get into that will blow your, your socks off um, in the weeks to come. But that's the context. And as we step into chapter 4 this morning, Paul is reminding the Corinthians, and he's reminding us that God has called us to live upside-down lives. 
Lives that look nothing like the world around us. And it's so easy to forget that in the culture that we live in, even as the church, that God has called us to look different than the culture around us. He's called us to live lives that model the sacrifice and humility of Jesus Christ. To be a people first and foremost that are directed by the cross and not the culture. The Corinthian church was living just like the world around them. They were choosing to follow men instead of follow Christ. They were drawn, if you'll remember, to the most articulate, whatever they preferred most about a teacher or a preacher in Corinth, that's who they were lining up behind. They were drawn to the most popular, to the point of pitting one teacher against another. Instead of it being Jesus' church, it had become Apollos' church, or Paul's church, or Peter's church. And Christians do the exact same thing today, don't we? Paul challenges this worldly mindset. And at the end of chapter 4, he basically says to the Corinthians, you remember he's in Ephesus writing this, but he essentially says to the Christians, hey, look, don't make me come down there. He's diagnosed the problem, this problem of, 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 of selfishness and self-centered living. He's prescribed the solution, which is leaning into the Spirit. And now he's literally threatening them with an intervention. You know, when I was a teenager, um, my folks built out our basement uh, in, in our house. It was probably not the wisest timing. Um, we had a big playroom down there. We had a pool table, ping pong table, all that kind of thing. And on the weekends, I'd have all my buddies from high school over to the house. And so we'd be down in the basement, you know, having a big old time. And as it got later and later at night, my folks would be sleeping upstairs. And when we got a little bit too loud, I'd hear that basement door open. And I'd hear my dad at the top of the steps, and he'd yell down those steps. He said, Phil, don't make me come down there. <laughs> and everybody knew it's time to quiet down. It's time to get it together because, Mr. Reichard, we don't want him coming down here. Well, that's what's essentially what Paul is doing with the Corinthian church here in chapter 4. He was the spiritual father of the church. Remember, he founded this church on his second missionary journey just three years before he wrote this letter. So these are infant, brand new believers trying to figure this thing out in the midst of a culture that is just saturated with sin and temptation that's trying to draw them back into that culture. And essentially... Paul is telling them, hey guys, if you don't get this thing under control, I'm coming down there, and I will. In chapter 18, at the end, in chapter 4, near the end of the chapter, verse 18, Paul says this. He says, some of you have become arrogant, as if I were not coming to you. 
But I will come to you very soon if the Lord is willing. And then I'll find out not only how these arrogant people are talking, but what power they have. And so they were factioning and they were separating and they were following men instead of Jesus and they were proud of it. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but it's a matter of power. And if you're relying on the power of men, he says, you're going to be in trouble. He says, what do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a whip or in love with a gentle spirit? Preceding this in chapter 4, Paul reminds the Corinthians, who's yelling down the steps? He says, I want you to remember who I am, who Apollos is, who Peter is, and I want you to remember who God has called us to be and what he expects of us. And he reminds them that he is the one that set under Christ's direction that church in motion. And in words that drip with sarcasm. It is fascinating. Normally, unfortunately, um, I've got kind of a habit of sarcasm. Um, and some of you do too. I'm, I'm sure of that. Um, and normally it gets me into trouble and it's considered, honestly, most of the time a sin because sarcasm is a cutting kind of a thing. But it's interesting to see here in the Scripture, in the Word of God, we see Paul using sarcasm as a tool to get his point across to the Corinthians. And what he's doing here is he is comparing the way that they are acting, the way that they're living, to the life and calling of an apostle. In chapter 4, he's essentially saying to the church, look at our lives, the lives of the apostles. We are your fathers in the faith. Look at how we live and emulate what you see. Instead of picking favorites and elevating one above another, he says, let me remind you of who we are and what God has called us to be and do. And in verse 1, he says, so then, men ought to regard us, he's talking about the apostles, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the secret things of God, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting, that word servant there, in the Greek, the original word there is the word used for an under oarsman on a ship. You know, the slave ships that had like three levels of guys rowing, to move the ship along. The word Paul chooses to use here for servant is the word used for those at the very bottom of the ship, at the lowest level, those that nobody sees, but they're the ones who make the ship move forward. And he says men ought to regard us, the apostles, not up here, but down there. As servants, those working on the lowest level. Paul says that's what God has called us to as apostles. 
to the low life, not the high life. And we see that confused so often in the leadership of churches in our culture and the way that leaders are elevated and the way that people follow men in churches today, just as they were in Corinth. Paul says to the Corinthians, you're putting us on pedestals. We're at the lowest level. You're pitting us against one another. You're arguing about which one of us is the captain of the ship. In God's eyes, he said, we're just servants. We're just rowing together to move the gospel forward. We're not trying to work our way to the top, he said, but to the contrary. We're going to the bottom of the deck. And that would prove true as we look at where every one of the apostles ultimately ended up. John being the only one that wasn't martyred, and yet he was sent to the island of Patmos to suffer his penalty. Paul says, we're laying low so Jesus can be lifted up. So that others see him and not talk about how amazing we are. He says, we're called to live upside down lives. And you are too, church. And he's challenging the church not to rank the teachers who are all teaching a legitimate gospel and a legitimate method. There are false teachers that need to be called out. But those who preach the gospel, he says, let's don't Rank these folks. Even with your preference. And then in verse 2, Paul says this, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Speaking of the apostles. He said, I care very little if I'm judged by you or by any human court. I do not even judge myself. He said, my conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Paul says, my conscience is clear about my motives. He says, but I'm not the last one who evaluates my motives. He said, it's the Lord and the Lord alone who truly knows my motives and judges me. He says, therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He'll bring light to what is hidden in darkness and he will expose the motives of men's hearts. At that time, each will receive praise from God. In other words, as they are ranking the teachers in Corinth and factioning out and getting behind their guy, Paul says, those aren't judgments for us to make. That's God's job. He said, let God hand out that praise, not men. Who's the best teacher? Who's the best preacher? And we all have our preferences. But only God knows. This is what Paul said, what is hidden in a man's heart. The most humble in in 25 years of ministry, the most humble 
the most godly pastors and teachers I've known, I probably bumped into in the mountains of North Carolina when I was pastoring there for six years. They weren't the best. They weren't the most polished communicators. But they were under oarsmen who spent a lifetime rowing on the lowest deck of the church. And that's what Paul is trying to communicate to the Corinthians. That's what he's trying to communicate to us. Be careful that you don't measure things as the world measures things in the church. Verse 6. He says, now, brothers, I have applied these things to myself. So, I mean, I'm living this way, and I've applied them to Apollos, and he's living this way for your benefit. Yet they're lining up saying, man, I like Apollos better than I do Paul. I like Paul better than I do Apollos. And Paul is saying, we're in this thing together. Apollos and I aren't doing this. You're doing this. We're living the lives that God has called us to as apostles. And he says, so that you may learn from us the meaning of the saying, do not go beyond what is written. He says, then you will not take pride in one man over against another. For who makes you different from anyone else? This applies to absolutely everybody in the church. What do you have that you did not receive from God? What do you got to brag about, essentially? He says, and if you did receive it, man, if God has gifted you in extraordinary ways, why do you boast as though you did not receive it, as though you are responsible for that gift that you have? Paul's saying, stick to the Scripture, the truth. Remember where you are and leave your preferences at the door. Essentially saying the ground is level at the cross. Don't forget that. That God is no respecter of men. We're all the same. We're all in desperate need of God's grace and God's forgiveness. There is not one of us that is not in desperate need of what Christ is offering us at Calvary. Any gift we have, any capacity to communicate, any ability to preach or to teach or to do anything in the church, God has given it to us by His grace. So don't take the gifts that God has given His servants, Paul says, and use them to place one above Another. That's what the Corinthians were doing. As if they had risen to be gods themselves, Paul says. Continuing here just to drip with sarcastic irony, Paul says this to them. He says, already you have all that you want. In other words... Oh, okay, so you guys have arrived already. You've got everything that you want. He says, already you've become rich. These are folks that hadn't met Christ until just three years prior. He says, you have become kings. And that without us. 
talking about the apostles, the ones who had planted the church there, the ones that were laboring to spread the gospel throughout the world, sacrificing themselves. He says, you have become kings. And without us, he says, oh, how I wish that you really had become kings so that we might be kings with you. Wow. And then in verse 9, he says this, describing truly the life of an apostle. He says, for it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like men condemned to die in the arena. The slaves that are being dragged behind the conquering king back into the city who are at the end of the line who will be fed to the beasts, essentially, is what Paul's saying. For it seems to me that God has put us there. He says, we've been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to men. He's not being sarcastic here. He says, we are fools for Christ living upside-down lives. He says, but you, you are so wise in Christ. Gosh, he says, we're weak. But you, Corinthians, man, you're strong. You are honored. Mm, We are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Up to this moment, we have become the scum of the earth, the refuse of this world. Paul is talking about the existence that they are actually living while all these folks in Corinth are picking their favorite and calling them the best and placing them on a pedestal. Paul's reminding the Corinthians, and he's reminding us this morning that if God didn't put the apostles at the front of the line in the world's eyes, why are we pushing and shoving to get there? Why are we operating the same way the world around us is operating? The picture he paints again in this passage is that of the king returning from battle in triumphal entry. We, we recognize this triumphal entry sort of a motif, if you will, because of what we celebrate on Palm Sunday when Jesus comes in to Jerusalem in His triumphal entry. Well, that's modeled after the kings returning from war. And they were expecting Jesus to be an earthly king. Not to soon be sacrificed humbled and laid low. And this is exactly what Paul is painting here. It's what he is trying to convey to the Corinthians and trying to convey to us. We live as followers of Jesus Christ upside down lives that does not meet the expectation of the world. It's exactly the opposite And if we're trying to meet the expectation of the world, if we're trying to follow the crowd, Paul says we're going in the wrong direction. He said, don't be worldly. Church, be followers of Christ. 
who laid himself down, gave his life fully for you. He says, God's placed the apostles. He says, God's placed us with the slaves at the end of the line for all the world to see, and yet you're trying to push us to the top. God's called us to live upside down lives. Lives that don't make sense to the world around us. To be a people who model Jesus' words that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. A people who don't push our way to the front of the line, but truly believe that the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Those are Jesus' words. Let me ask you something this morning. Do you believe that? That in God's economy, that the last shall be first and the first shall be last? Do you believe that? Do you live that way? Not constantly scratching and clawing to be first. But content... In the lower life that Jesus modeled. And it's tough in our culture today. It was tough in the Corinthian culture 2,000 years ago. It will always be tough. Impossible without the Spirit, Paul tells us, to live a countercultural life in Jesus Christ. But that's what He's called us to do. That's who He's called us to be. To be in the world... But what? Not of the world. Humility. As we we talked about last week, it is the crucible of the Christian life. Living sacrifices have a tendency to crawl off the altar. When it hurts, we shy away. Man, that's Paul's point. Even in all the sarcasm, are we willing to live upside down lives? The lives that he and Apollos and Peter and the remainder of the apostles were modeling and were living out while these folks were talking about which one of them was better. Tradition has it that Peter was even crucified literally upside down because he didn't feel like he was worthy to die in the same way that Jesus died. And so Peter asked to be crucified, not like Jesus was, but literally to live an upside down life. And that's the way that he died for the sake of Christ. This is not about easy believism. This is not about just just adding a little bit of church to your life. Man, this is about laying your life down. The heart of Christianity, the heart of what we say we do here is about dying to self. Being crucified for Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in us. And that's what Paul is trying to convey 
to the Corinthians. And that is the life that Paul is literally living. He's called us to live upside down lives, to be fools for Christ, to appear weak and dishonored by the world. But everything within us rises against that. To be poor in this world. Everything within us rises against that. And that message is foolishness to those without the Spirit. That in our weakness we find strength. It's the paradox of the Christian life. That in weakness we find strength. That in humility, when we're willing to lay our lives down, that's where we bump into the power of God. That in losing our lives for the sake of Christ, that is where we find our lives. Let me ask you something this morning. As Gary and Carla come back to the stage... And I ask myself this it's convicting question this week. Are you living an upside-down life? None of us are going to do that perfectly as Jesus did, but are you really seeking to live a countercultural life that models the person of Jesus Christ? Or does your life pretty much look like everybody else's life in North Fulton County. Convicting question. And that's what Paul is pointing out to the Corinthians. He's saying, you look just like everybody else around you. You're acting just like everybody else around you. You're picking your favorite men and you're putting them on a pedestal instead of following Christ and laying your life down on His behalf and receiving the truth that He sends you no matter who He sends it through. Are you living an upside-down life? Really, am I? Or do we look just like the world around us with a few modifications? Are you leaning into the life of Jesus? Is that your body language? Are you really leaning into Jesus? Or are you leaning into what everybody else is leaning into? That's Paul's point. And in verse 14 he says this. He says, I'm not writing this to shame you. So that's not what I'm about. He said, I'm writing this to warn you. This thing we call the kingdom of God is a reality. Whether we acknowledge or not, God's economy is the economy in the end that wins. And it's an economy of humility. It's an economy of sacrifice. It says, even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, this great cloud of witnesses, he says, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, he said, I urge you to imitate me, to live this life that I've described. 
To be willing to serve others. To be willing to lay your life down as Jesus did for the sake of others. To be willing even to die, if you must, for the cause of Christ. I lead a mentoring group of young guys. Um, and we read a book a month. And, and we get together and we talk about... Um, what's in that book and the different principles of discipleship and what have you. And this past month we read a book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle. Is anybody familiar with that book, The Treasure Principle? Phenomenal book about how to, um, you know, God's perspective on us as his stewards and in, in really managing the earthly possessions and that kind of thing that, that he gives us. But in that book, Alcorn talks about visiting uh, two graves while he was in Egypt. He, he was visiting Cairo. And one of the graves was the grave of a boy king, King Tut, King Tutankhamun. And, and, and while he lived, he was absolutely worshipped and exalted by the people. The Egyptians, uh, in, in the days of the pharaohs and the kings, they, they exalted them. They considered them literally to be deity and kings. And when Tut, King Tut was 17 years old, he died. And he was buried in a tomb of gold in Cairo, near Cairo with treasure stacked from floor to ceiling because they believed that, that you could take that with you. And Alcorn says that um, as he went to that, that, to that tomb, that there were people waiting in line for hours to see the birthplace or the, the final resting place of King Tut. And then he talks about another grave that he visited. And that was the grave of a man by the name of William Borden. William Borden was born into wealth. He was American. Uh, he was a Yale and Princeton graduate, um, converted to Christ uh, in the early 1900s. And upon his conversion, he literally laid his life down for Christ and said, God, I'll go wherever you call me to go. And he became a missionary to the Muslim people in the early 1900s. Uh, on his way to China, he, uh, he stopped in Cairo to minister to the Muslims there. And while there, he died of cerebral meningitis at the age of 25. And at that point, he had given almost all of his fortune away for the cause of Christ. And in Cairo, he literally gave his life for the cause of Christ. Uh, Alcorn said he went to visit his grave and, uh, and there was nobody in line. <laughs> there was nobody there to see William Borden's grave. But the inscription on the headstone read this, and it was fitting. It said, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. That's what Paul's trying to convey here. You can't make sense of it without the Spirit of God. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for living our lives sacrificially for others to this extreme. And God is calling us as His church to live upside down lives that defy explanation apart from Jesus Christ. Let me ask you something. Are you living that kind of life? 
Can you explain it apart from Jesus? And He's calling us to lay it all down. He's calling us to surrender fully to the one who died that we might live. So no matter where you are in that process this morning, I just want to challenge you. Open your heart to God. Those things in your life that the Spirit is whispering to you and, 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 and you know He's saying, I want you to change that. That, that's, that's, that's not in keeping with a life that's lived fully and faithfully for Jesus. Those things in your life that need to change. How you steward your life. How you're giving your life away. How you're serving other people. The way you're viewing other people. Man, surrender your life fully to Christ. This day, that's what Paul is challenging the Corinthians to do. And that's what I'm challenging not only you, but myself to do this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you for the privilege to preach the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder that uh, it's not about us, Lord, but we are to be your servants. We're to be those who lay our lives down that Jesus' life may be lifted up, that others might see not us, but Jesus in us, and that they might come to a saving knowledge of the truth, that on the cross Jesus took our sin upon Himself. Lord, that we might be forgiven, the perfect sacrifice. And Lord, You raised Him again on the third day, that death might be conquered, that sin might be uh, overcome and that we might spend an eternity with you. Thank you for welcoming us into your family as your children. Help us this day, Father, to surrender fully our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.